the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Jesus foretells the destruction of Jerusalem. So what is the significance for you and I today? Join us and find out. Abounding Grace is next. The destruction of Jerusalem happens around 70 A.D. Jesus says it's going to happen well before it does. But why? Why will it happen? Why does it take place? And what is the significance of this destruction for you and I? Why was it important that Jesus would tell about it before it happened? These are questions we're seeking to answer here today on Abounding Grace. Join us. The destruction of Jerusalem, Luke 21, verses 5 through 38. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's program. It is estimated that well over one million Jews lost their lives in that terrible siege. But we have no record of any Christian losing his life in the fall of Jerusalem. We know of no Christians that perished in the destruction of Jerusalem. This is what Jesus indicated in Matthew 24, verse 18, when he said, But the one who endures to the end, it is he who will be saved. Now, that word end does not mean the end of a person's personal life. In context here is referring to the end of Jerusalem. In Luke 21, 9, by your perseverance, you will win your souls. Luke 21, 18. Yet not a hair of your head will perish. In other words, during the desolation of Jerusalem, Christians would be unharmed, says Marcellus Kick. Although in the period previous to this, some would lose their lives through persecution, mainly by the Jews. Well, why weren't they harmed? Why is it that probably no Christian perished in the fall of Jerusalem? Because they obeyed Christ's sermon. Jesus said, when you see the Roman army surrounding Jerusalem, you see the abomination of desolation of the temple, get out of town and hide in the hills. And they did. Then notice in verses 13 through 15, Jesus tells his disciples not to be afraid of persecution. Why? Because it will be a wonderful opportunity to bear witness of the gospel of Christ. Times of persecution, distress, national calamity are always, beloved, opportune times to present the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He encourages them in that first century not to be anxious about defending themselves. He says, I will give you a mouth and I will give you wisdom, which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. Can you imagine Now, how do you know what Jesus was saying when he said, verse 15, I will give you a mouth and wisdom? What was he claiming there? He was claiming to be God. What is the testimony of the Old Testament? Wisdom 
comes from God. You want wisdom? Pray to God, Jesus said. I will give you wisdom. So here you have the Lord Jesus Christ claiming once again to be God. All right, so all of these various things, rumors of war, false prophets, he said they are not signs of the fall of Jerusalem. Do you want to know what the sign is? Verses 20 through 24. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, Roman armies, then recognize that her desolation is at hand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, if this is talking about the second coming, as many believe today, what is the relevance of heading for the hills? Why flee to the mountains if Jesus is coming? What good is it going to do you? This is not about the second coming. Then let those in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are in the midst of the city depart. Let not those who are in the country enter the city. He didn't want anyone else to enter the city because the city was already packed with pilgrims and worshipers who were there for the Passover. Forty years to the day after the Passover of Passion Week, when Jesus was betrayed and crucified. Now remember, the flood was 40 days and 40 nights. The children of Israel wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus was tested in the wilderness for 40 days and nights. The number 40 in Scripture is a time of trial and testing, and where God makes changes. And 40 years after the Passion Week Passover and Christ's betrayal, at the celebration of this Passover, the fall of Jerusalem took place because these were the days of vengeance in order that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Woe to those with child and those who nurse babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to those people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive unto all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled or understood. He says, you want a sign that's going to tell you when all of this is going to take place? Here is the sign, verse 20. Now, I'm going to emphasize to you a pronoun. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by enemies, not when some coming generation off into the future, thousands of years hence, but when you see the people I'm looking at, Jesus could have said, the people that were standing before him, when you see Jerusalem surrounded with armies, then recognize that her desolation is at hand. Now, that verse 20 explains Matthew 24, 15, and 16. So, if you would, please turn with me there. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, these are simply two versions of the same statement. They're just looking at it from two different perspectives. They're filling in, in for each other's stories. And notice what Luke says in chapter 21. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by Roman armies, recognize that her desolation is at hand. 
Then Matthew has Jesus saying, When you see the abomination that brings desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. You see, this warning to flee to the mountain indicates a local event. So Luke 21 identifies the abomination of desolation as the Roman army besieging Jerusalem. Luke 21 verse 20 identifies what the abomination of desolation is in Matthew 24, 15, and 16. The abomination that brought desolation to Jerusalem was the Roman army. And if you'll turn back to Luke 19, 43 and 44, you'll see him talking about this siege again. For the day shall come upon you, and your enemies will throw up a barricade before you and surround you and hem you in on every side and will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your salvation. It is as plain as can be. The abomination that would bring desolation is the Roman army surrounding, invading Jerusalem and turning the temple into a Roman citadel. Now, you have probably seen enough movies like Gladiator and possibly Spartacus, and you see the Roman armies who are all carrying insignias and banners with eagles on them. But there were also many pictures of the Caesars on these banners. All of the Caesars believed they were God. So they take over the temple and put insignias of Caesar in the midst of this holy place, the home of Jehovah. Beloved, that is an abomination. The word abomination in the Old Testament was often connected with idolatry. And this is idolatry for the Romans to take over the temple. The Romans took over the temple and made it an army camp with these idolatrous banners to their god, Caesar. And Jesus said to his hearers, when you see Jerusalem surrounded, when you see the abomination of desolation, when you see the abominable, idolatrous Roman images of Caesar in Jerusalem and in the temple, as Daniel prophesied, you will know Jerusalem's desolation is at hand. Therefore, get out of town and hide in the mountains. Luke 21, 23, and 24. Woe to those who are with child, to those who nurse babies in those days, for there will be a great distress upon the land and wrath to this people, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. That is an explanation of Matthew 24, 19 through 20. So let's go back to Matthew 24, and we'll look at verses 19 through 22. But woe to those who are with child and to those who nurse babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall. And unless those days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days shall be cut short. Now here you have Luke and Matthew supporting what Jesus said. Luke said that he talked about a great distress upon the land and wrath to the people. Matthew also said a great tribulation would take place in those days, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall. 
So the great tribulation mentioned in Matthew 24, which Luke calls the great distress, is not something that is going to occur near the end of the world. These verses are directly connected with the fall of Jerusalem. And they're explained by Luke 21. The, whole, the, the horror of this terrible siege of Jerusalem is beyond compare in human history. There was nothing like it. There has been nothing like it since. It is a time of great distress and great tribulation. And that tribulation had as its location Jerusalem and its surrounding areas. Matthew 24 speaks of fleeing to the nearby mountains. It speaks of flat-roofed Palestinian houses. It speaks of difficulty in travel on the Jewish Sabbath. And Matthew 24, 21 is the clincher. It says, For then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall. Now, if the great tribulation refers to a future event near the end of the world, why in the world did Jesus add the words, nor shall ever be? Implying that there are ages of history to follow this tribulation. Therefore, it can't be the end of the world. There will be great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall in all history to come. Turn to Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. John wrote the book of Revelation while Nero was in power in the late 60s, and, and it was, of course, before the destruction of Jerusalem. And we know that the temple hadn't been destroyed yet because John refers to measuring the temple. But notice in chapter 1-9, he says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus was on the isle called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And he says, I'm already experiencing the tribulation that Jesus talked about. You know, people often question and examine my orthodoxy by asking me what I believe about this great tribulation. When is the tribulation going to take place, they ask. And I confuse the daylights out of them by saying, oh, that's been over for a couple of thousand years. Yeah, the tribulation is over. That tribulation took place in 70 A.D., and it was such a horrifying event and such a magnificent display of the mercy of God. And they are flabbergasted. Here's an astounding statement in Matthew 24, 22. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days shall be cut short. These were such terrifying days. Horrible days that if God hadn't cut it short when he did, it says here the elect would have been lost. Now we know the elect aren't going to be lost. But the point is, he is impressing us with the severity of this day as well as with the mercy of God. 
Then in verse 24, you have the statement that Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be understood. And I, I think there can actually be a couple of ways that this can be interpreted. And if you go to Matthew Henry, he actually gives you both ways. So you can pick whichever one you want. But here's the one I like and I want. Jerusalem will be possessed by Gentiles of one sort or another for the most part until the time comes when the nations that yet remain infidels shall embrace the Christian faith. When the kingdoms of this world shall become Christ's kingdom, then all the Jews shall be converted and Jerusalem shall be inhabited by them, and neither they nor their city will any longer be trodden by the Gentiles. Now in verses 25 through 28, Jesus tells the significance of all this. He says, And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and upon this earth dismay among nations, and perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear, and the expectation of things to come which are coming upon the earth. For the powers of heaven will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your head, because redemption is drawing near. Now, beloved, this is the paragraph that people have difficulty with. How can this apply to the fall of Jerusalem when it is so obviously got to be applied to the second coming? He talks about signs and stars and moons and the sun. It talks about the shaking of the powers of heaven. It talks about the Son of Man coming in the cloud of power and glory. It is obviously talking about the second coming, they say. Well, my friends, it's only obvious if you read your own meaning into these words, rather than to let the Bible define its own words. Do you hear me? It is only obvious applying to the second coming if you read into it what you think these words mean, rather than letting the Bible explain these words and these phrases. For instance, Luke's version is an abbreviation, again, of the interpretation of Matthew 24, 29, and 30. So if you would, please go back there with me. Verses 29 and 30. These are old, this is Old Testament language that would have been unfamiliar to Luke's Greek readers. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, and immediately, of course, is a key word here, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then the Son of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all of the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Now, let's restrain ourselves from trying to read back into this text what we want it to mean and see if the Bible can help us understand these phrases because these are used in various places throughout the Bible. In fact, whenever these prophetic figures are used in the Bible, sun darkened, moon doesn't give light, stars falling from the sky, they are always used figuratively, never literally. Never, never literally. These phrases are biblical phraseology that describe spectacularly the catastrophes that are connected with God's historical judgment upon nations in space and in time. And let me show you a couple places. Turn to Isaiah 13. 
In Isaiah 13, you have a prophecy concerning God's judgment on ancient Babylon. Where is Babylon? It's no more. Babylon is gone. This prophecy came true long before Jesus was born. So here you have, in verses 9 through 11 of Isaiah 13, a prophecy of the destruction of ancient Babylon. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make a land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Thus, I will punish the world for its evil, and that's the world of Babylon, and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud. Now, when the Persians wiped out the Babylonian Empire, did the sun go out? Did the moon disappear? Did the stars fall? Well, yes, figuratively, not literally. And we'll see what the figures represent. But first, turn to Isaiah 34. And here you have a prophecy referring to God's judgment on Edom. Does Anyone know where Edom was? Does anyone care where Edom was? It was just a one camel town, and it is long gone. Isaiah 34, verse 2. For the Lord's indignation is against all the nations and his wrath against their armies. He's utterly destroyed them. He's given them over to slaughter. Verse 4. And all the host of heaven will wear away, and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. All of their host will also wither away as the leaf withers from the vine, or as one withers from the fig tree, for my sword is satiated in heaven. Behold, it shall descend, for judgment is upon Edom and upon the people whom I've devoted to destruction. Now, when God destroyed Edom, did the heavens roll up like a scroll? And the sun go out? And the stars fall? Figuratively, yes. Literally, no. What does the figure mean? Well, let me give you one more example first. In Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, people asked Peter, what is wrong with everyone speaking in tongues? Are they all drunk? And Peter stood up and said, no, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. And besides, this is what Joel said in the last days, that the moon will turn to blood. Now, on the day of Pentecost, when God baptized his church with the Holy Spirit and then began baptizing apostate Judaism with fire, did the sun go out literally? No. This is a powerful, spectacular imagery that is used over and over again in God's Word. Now, if we were to say concerning Edom, God's going to judge you, and the sun's going to go out, and the stars are going to fall. Babylon, God is going to judge you, and the stars are going to fall, and the sun is going to go out. Israel, God is going to judge you, and the sun is going to go out, and the moon is going to go out, and the stars are going to fall. Really? What happens when the sun goes out and the stars fall. Beloved, it's lights out. And that's the point. 
God's judgment is going to come to Babylon, Edom, Egypt, apostate Israel with such heaviness and severity that it's lights out for those nations. It's like the termination of their entire history. That is why this phrase is used throughout Scripture, not in a literal sense, but in a figurative sense. Also in Matthew 24, verse 30, And then the sign will appear of the Son of Man in heaven. Now, again, the New American Standard Bible's translation of verse 30 is a bit convoluted. Let me give you a more accurate and clearer translation. When you read the NSA, the NAS, verse 30, it seems to say, then the sign will appear in the sky of the Son of Man. So the impression you get is that there's going to come some miraculous sign in the sky. That is not an accurate translation of the Greek according to Marcellus Kick. Here is what the Greek says. You may want to write this in the margin of your Bible. And then the sign will appear of the Son of Man in heaven. Did you see that? It's not the sign that is in the sky. It is the Son of Man that is in the sky sitting at the right hand of God. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Amen.